And this episode is sponsored by Dank Seeds, the architects of distinct cannabis strains. Crossbreeds that harness effects that bestow elevated experiences upon those who consume them. Cash Color Cannabis will be collaborating with Dank Seeds over the next four months on an exclusive short vlog series. Stay tuned for more details. In the meantime, head to DankSeeds.com to see what they offer. One, two, what? There we go. Cash Color Cannabis, a high level of conversation. Today we are not in Atlanta at Live Hip Hop Daily. No, we are in New Orleans for the Black Canacon. Black Canacon, man. Day two of the event, we're down here in, in New Orleans, and I have a good guest here with my with me today, man. I got my boy Tahir with me, man. If y'all don't know, y'all should really follow him on social media. He probably has one of the more lit Instagrams on earth for somebody who is a cannabis activist, man. But I, I really got a chance to speak with my boy today because I want to get a little background into how he got into cannabis. Um, when did he first think that cannabis activism was going to be life and how he feels about the constant, the topic of social equity? So without further ado, man, Tahir, how you doing, guy? Make it was good, bro. I'm glad to tap in with you, man. Man, it's been a long time coming, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, we've been on, we've been, we follow each other on almost every single platform. So at this time, it's finally, we finally got the chance to finally connect in a proper way. Uh, for those who don't know you or don't, uh, aren't familiar, please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Yep, absolutely. And even before I do that, I want to say thank you to you, man, because you've been inspiring. And actually, you don't—you don't, probably don't even know it, but instrumental in my career and helping me be have the confidence to do what I'm doing now. Oh, when I wrote that article for you, bro, back in the day, that was the first time anybody ever invited me to do something like that, sharing my opinion in cannabis. And so as I've had the opportunity to do these other little things, you know, I just keep building on top of it. So I never really got to tell you thank you for that. So oh, first, I appreciate good, that, It's man. all good, man. I appreciate that, man. But um, again, just give it, we gonna, uh, I'll be humble for a second. Let yeah, you be, yeah. let you be the bracket. Tell you us know? about yourself and introduce yourself. Tell us what you do. For sure. Um, but like Mecca said, my name's Tahir Johnson. I'm the director of social equity and inclusion for two organizations, the U.S. Cannabis Council, as well as the Marijuana Policy Project. And in that role, I'm, I'm really focused on two different things, both policy and programs. Um, policy at both the federal and state level to make sure that social equity is at the forefront of the cannabis legalization agenda. Um, and at the U.S. Cannabis Council, um, working with our member companies to ensure that we have programs around social equity and accountability towards those goals. Yeah, you know, and social equity is something I definitely want to dive into with you. But before we get into that, let's talk about your life in cannabis. When was the first time that Tahir Johnson consumed Oh, man. First time I smoked school in cannabis. I mean, first time I consumed cannabis, it was sophomore year in high school. Um, I had broke my finger, so I wasn't on the basketball team. First time I, I wasn't playing sports. I always didn't consume products as an athlete. Um, but then I was at my boy Jason Scott's house across the street from my grandmother. Rolled up. We had to learn how to barely knew how to roll up, man. I just remember spending the day so stoned, man. But it was amazing. That's crazy. So you're a former athlete yourself. I used to play basketball, so I understand you come up with the concept of say no to drugs, and that means everything. Like the only thing I'm a only thing, the only drug I have is basketball at this moment, man. Yeah. It's crazy. You have to you have to learn how to roll on the fly. Like I, I told Redman when I met him in Vegas, I literally learned how to roll a blunt listening to how to roll a blunt on his first album. <laughs> like he gave you a step by step tutorial on how to roll a blunt, and I said thank you so much, Reggie Noble, man. <laughs> so since then, have you thought about why you consume? Like like is there a reason why? Is it because of anxiety is just because of something you like doing that's that's outside of like say alcohol like i don't drink so my thing is i smoke you know when yeah. i have a, when i have a chance to chill out or kind of deep recharge so what's, what's yeah. the reason why you consume well you know for me as early on i always saw cannabis as something that really brought people together right yeah. i think like me and my friends like just the relationship the conversations you have it's always been amazing 
But as I've been learning more about medical cannabis and this idea that every person, like all cannabis use is medical, even if you don't yes. know it, you're, you know, self-medicating some other type of thing. I think that I recognize that it could be anxiety because it just helps me feel real calm and chill, right? Yeah. Um, it's real relaxed. And so um, I would say that's that's really it. But now at this point, it's become such a normal part of my life. Like, right, I've been consuming cannabis now since I have been in high school. Um, and so, again, it just helps give me that right energy, get in the right mindset. This whole idea that cannabis folks are like losers and not successful. Like, I don't know where the hell that comes from because it, it helps me be motivated and do everything I got to do. Yeah, man, I blame communists. <laughs> like, that's the only people who wouldn't believe that nonsense, man. You're also a father, too. And I think it's amazing that as a father, you're you're, you're such a, a, a great example for somebody who's a consumer and a father. Um, speak to us about fatherhood and how important it is for you and also how it, how you balance fatherhood with actually being a consumer. Absolutely, man. So, I, you know, like you said, I have two beautiful little girls, man, and I love them. Um, and I think we have a responsibility now where we are kind of in the world to, for one, as we look at cannabis to make sure that they're, um, you know, educated and know the truth about it. Like yeah. when we grew up, they had us in the D.A.R.E. program, oh, yes. you know, talking all this stuff. So, yes, wearing the T-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wearing the D.A.R.E. T-shirts. And so, you know, definitely don't want to push that to our daughters. But um, for me, like one, even outside of cannabis, man, one of the things that's really important is just teaching them to be a to be a good person, be loving. And I try to pour that into them. And when I talk to them about cannabis, they look at it from the standpoint they they my daughter knows cannabis is medicine, but also she knows that I'm doing a lot of work around social justice. So I think she sees cannabis mostly through that lens. Yeah, that's what's up, man. So let's get into the business side of things, man. So how did you find yourself involved with these organizations and where you are actually being a voice for social equity and a voice for helping people try to get their brands together, trying to get their voice together when it comes to diversity and making sure this business is inclusive. For sure. You know, I actually started out like a lot of people focused on entrepreneurship. Um, prior to coming into cannabis, I was an investment advisor. Um, and I read about my um, friend Hope Wiseman. She came from the investment world as well. Um, and I you know, heard about her and how she started marrying Maine. So that made me start looking at the industry. Um, and so even more, right, like I, as I started learning how access to capital was one of the biggest problems holding black people out, like that really attracted me, um, you know, to what I'm doing now. So in, in the beginning, I thought that I was going to be a business owner. I applied for licenses in Maryland and in New Jersey. Oh, um, big yeah, time, man. man. Yeah, man. <laughs> and so like I kind of backed my way into this and it was actually at um, the Minority Cannabis Business Association's Lobby Day in 2019. Like prior to that, like I had no idea what lobbying even was, didn't know what it was. Um, but I, we're looking at the sheet of all these members of Congress that we were going out to reach um, out to. I look at the sheet. I'm like, hey, if one of my boys is chief of staff for this congressman, should I hit him up? And so everybody turned around and was like looking at me like, oh, you just know people like that. And I was like, yeah. So it was actually successful. We got a meeting with him um, in the Hill. Um, and that was where I met my friend Calico Castile, who was the head of like, strategy at NCIA at the time. They brought me over there really for business development because my background in business. Um, but after I was there and got inside the organization, I helped create their diversity, equity, and inclusion program. Okay. And through that, bought on, um, you know, so many social equity operators, really changed the face of the organization. And when I was there, um, you know, that gave me the opportunity to get on a national scene focused on policy and diversity. Um, then I was able to parlay that into my next position here at U.S. Cannabis Council, where I have a broad reach because we really represent the um, broadest and largest um, cannabis businesses and most prominent organizations in the industry. What's the hardest conversation you have with businesses when it comes to social equity? Like, like, is it is it is it 
is it more trying to explain to them why this is needed or explaining to them or trying to have a conversation with them about why they haven't done it yet? Like, what's one of the hardest things for you to discuss when it comes to um, social equity and all that? Well, I would say both, right? I think, for one, even this, the concept of social equity in itself is really new, right? Like, Tucky Blunt, Blunt more, he's the first social equity dispensary owner in the world, and I think he's opened in 2019, Correct. right? So it's like this whole idea, we're just building on top of that, and people are, a lot of people are fucking it up, and we're, we're working on getting it right, like, get doing better state by state. But when you ask about the companies, right, like, I think that, um, for one, a lot of it is education. For us to be able to, um, you know, educate educate them, let them know, right? Talking talking about the history of the war on drugs is really important. Yes. I think when we started out at the beginning of the cannabis movement, it was really more focused on, like, free the plant, right? Access to cannabis. But now that conversation has expanded and we recognize that we have a whole industry where they're expected to make $24 billion in revenue this year and we still got 40,000 people locked up, you know what I'm saying, right yeah. now today for something that's, you know, that's making all this money. And so... One, educating people on the war on drugs and why it is important to extend those opportunities is important. But then also giving them the tools and letting them understand, like, the how. Like, there's some companies doing some great things. Like, I think about Kira Leaf and under my homegirl, Khadija Tribble's leadership, how they have the Rooted and Good program. Like, they partnered with B Noble to um, a brother that had 13 years in cannabis for two joints to give him a cannabis brand. Right, like, pointing at those things that companies can actually do to make a difference and then actually measuring it, right? Like, if you look at last year, not talking about cannabis specifically, banks or whatever, everybody was putting out these statements on how they were going to help the black community, yes, right? Yes, yes. Actually having that accountability tool, how are we tracking it? You've made these commitments. What do the metrics look like? Yes. I think that's another thing I'm focused on as well. I mean, we have what's called the DEI task force, and it has leaders, um, prominent civil rights leaders and social justice folks that are helping us to you know, keep that accountability because I think, again, cannabis in itself is a new industry. And a lot of what I do is look at, um, leverage my experience in finance and other professional industries and see what they've done to try to improve diversity and bring that into cannabis. Now, when we talk about social equity, I feel like the biggest thing we need to preach to people is patience. Like when I first started hearing the concept myself, I was like, I was kind of on the fence about it. Cause I'm like, one thing that we know about corporate America is they know how to finesse, a, a, they know how to finesse a loophole. Mm -hmm. And if you're saying we need to have X amount of people in there, they'll figure out how to have exactly X amount of people in there. Mm -hmm. But as time goes on, things are going to start developing. You're going to get more people involved who are knowledgeable and, and really like passionate about seeing some kind of change. I look at it almost like the civil rights movement. Civil rights movement wasn't overnight. Like we still, you still fighting for that in 2021 to be completely honest with you. So to think simply because we're talking weed and social equity that tomorrow somebody's gonna wake up and say, yeah, we need more black, brown and, and, and others in the, in the building is kind of a, a fairy tale kind of thought. No, you gotta be patient. And one of the things we really gotta do is preach patience with that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Bro, I mean, you, you hit it right on the head, right? And I think um, when we look at cannabis and like the social equity movement, the, personally, in my head, that's the biggest thing that I that I kind of compare it to is the civil rights movement, right? And this is like our one of our very important new day civil rights issues. Yes. The way cannabis has destroyed the black community has been a hundred years, right? Where we've had this agenda and how it's destroyed families, put people in jail. Um, and I think, so when I think of social equity, I kind of actually break it down. I think social equity for me really means two things. It means social justice and it means economic opportunity. It's making sure that our people have the opportunity to be entrepreneurs, have businesses, both plant touching and in the infrastructure around cannabis, to capitalize on the generational wealth that's going to be created through this plant and then social justice. Again, like I said, we got folks locked up. 
and need to be home. And then also that restorative justice, those people should have an opportunity to be a part of the yes, industry, right? Yes, yes, How yes. are we going to have all this money being made and the people that have paid the price and been a part of it traditionally haven't been a part of it? But like you said, it is a it's a slow conversation, right? It's not something that's going to happen overnight. You look at Martin, Malcolm, people like that, they were fighting for years and that the work is not over today. So I think we have to really try to, for one, like set what our goals are, work together as a community, right? Yes. Like that is what, what you see, I think, what made the civil rights community movement successful, that collaboration, our people coming together. And that right now, that's, I mean, that's for real talk, that's why stuff like this Black Canacon that we're at is so important, right? Yes. For us to be able to educate each other, build community and coalitions with each other, right? Like how can, how can I support you down in Atlanta and you support me up in DC? We build this nationwide network of folks that are like-minded to help move that mission forward. Yes, yes. You know, I, the one thing I also want us to do is um, start embracing our history a lot more, especially when it comes to cannabis. And when I mention that, I was thinking of um, how much that, you know, people still to this moment big of, for some reason, Pablo Escobar, or or, or even go a little bit further down on Mickey Monday and people like that. You'll have them on panels. And you know what I mean? Like, you'll go to certain conferences, the people will have them on panels. We need to start holding up Bransons like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like people who legitimately were carving out a niche in a time when you should have been locked up every single time you walked out your door doing this and became a brand name on its own. Like, I feel like we need to also start embracing that side. Like, reach out and say, we're not just going to talk about the legacy market. Let's reach down and say, these are the people on this legacy market. Let's put them on these panels as much as we put everybody else on. Thanks, man. And you know what? Like I say, in all all honesty, like, like we do need to give those people the stage, the voice. That's why, like, 40 Tons brand yes, is one of yes. That's, like, my Cobain. favorite cannabis Cobain. brand out there, man. Because, like, yeah. this brother spent life in prison. And now to see, I mean, not spent, was sentenced to life in prison, was blessed to come home, got a sense community, and started a cannabis brand. That's the type of folks I want to see be yes. successful, you know what I mean? And see the way they hustle and work and their team is moving, man. You know, again, I just want to see more of that. Yes, and I feel like that's 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 key there. You know, we can't just we can't jump steps. And I feel like in a lot of times when I listen, when I hear people in cannabis, I feel a lot of there's a lot of jumping steps. This now is a law, so now I want a dispensary. But I'm like, whoa, there was a whole group of people we were just buying weed from. You can't bypass the fact that these people created an entire infrastructure. Like, help them get themselves into involved in this industry and. and Put them on a platform like we put all these other people on a platform. Let their voice be known as well. But Covey is a great example. Yeah, 40 ton brand. Great example of, of somebody coming out and using their, their expertise on that black market side, legacy market side, and really saying, hey, I can do this and this is my story. Thanks. We need to highlight that a whole lot more. For sure, man. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do, man. And again, I think also, like you said, it's, it's important to, to keep in mind um, again, like cannabis culture, you know, for me, I, I try to keep those things in mind when I'm, you know, focusing on policy and all those things. I'm always trying to remember the people that I represent, right? Like where I come from. Because for me, this cannabis culture is important. Like growing up, like you said, the folks in our neighborhood that have always been doing this, you know, we need to represent for them to not only make sure they have a place in the industry, but also that they're not displaced, that the narrative is not, um, you know, black market here, like that there. Um, so, again, I think it's just all uplifting, trying to change the narrative and working together to do that. Yeah. Hip hop and cannabis go hand in hand. Like mm -hmm. I just mentioned to you, I learned how to roll a blunt listening to Red Man's How to Roll a Blunt. Like Method Man now is in the game. We see yeah. Red, Wiz Khalifa. I think Currency, we in New Orleans, Currency is probably one of the people, again, 
if you want to talk about business and really talking about trying to bring a different crew of people over here, currency is somebody we should highlight. Absolutely. How important is it to feel like, how important is the connection between cannabis and hip hop to you? Oh, I mean, cannabis and hip hop is everything. That is cannabis culture, right? Yes. Like we talk about like meth and red growing up back in the day, Snoop, Wiz, like currency, all them carrying it now. Like, I mean, that was, that was everything. And I think a lot of, um, just again, the culture, everything that we look at and know cannabis as today, it was those people that were paving the way to normalize it. So now it's a kind of, you know, it's a household thing that we can talk about. Um, you know, the soccer, they got cannabis marketing cannabis to soccer moms. Yeah, now, but, bro. You know, back then it was them putting on leading that movement Absolutely. and normalizing it. Absolutely. You know, I say that all the time. Like, I, no disrespect to Willie Nelson, no disrespect to Cheech and Chong, but I'm like, Snoop Dogg has done way more to normalize cannabis use to a pop culture than anybody else for, I, I can even think of. Yeah, Snoopy smoking, smoking with Martha Stewart, that man. Boy, it don't get more boy. mainstream than that, that bro. Boy, yo, Snoop Dogg has done light years more just by being a ex, you know, a, a current gang member, ex-felon, rapper, mm-hmm. has done way more to normalize cannabis than so many other people, man. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I think a lot of it, and I don't know if that's what makes people gravitate to me because, like, I mean, even if, as much as business experiences I have, I mean, I just always try to represent the culture, man. Yeah. Keep it real, right? That's what I come from. If I could, I could be in a suit on the hill today, and then be at the front on the stage of the, you know yeah. what I'm saying, hip hop concert the next weekend. You know, just try to always bring that energy, bring that culture together, man. That's what we need. We need, we need our folks with all types of skill sets, all types of energy to come in this movement and lead it, bro. Yeah. Yes. Speaking about hip hop again, man. We just lost hip hop. Just lost a, a prominent figure, my man, Young Dog. Uh, what a tragic story! Luckily, they just caught the three people who they they, uh, they charged the three people who they say say did this. But man, Dolph's presence was major while he was here, and I saw that on Instagram that you was a fan. You had a chance chance to see him perform. What was your opinion about Dolph while he was here? What do you feel like his legacy is? Man, I think we you know motivational man, right? Like you know, for one, it's like same as Nipsey, and it's a shame to see like a brother that had achieved that type of success but was still there back in his hood, still yeah. trying to uplift people. You know, his music, talk about getting money, you listen to that, get hype, go out, man. So it's important. But again, like people like that is like what I try to think of. No, no matter where you come from, you always stay attached to your community. So, again, for us talking about black, I mean, just to lose that, you know, and it's, I think it's, it's a shame. And so we really got to think about in our community, right, as we're having this conversation about social justice, man. We can't take each other, man. As a matter of fact, just a couple of seconds ago, just heard the the white dude Kyle Rittenhouse from Kenosha that shot all those folks. He just not guilty, right? So what? Yes, he's not guilty, bro. Just happened. Just happened right before I walked over here to sit down with you, yo. Oh, that already. So it's like conversations, right like you know, we can't take each other away. Like they could kill us and not even, you know what I'm saying? Not even be checked for it. So we can't do it to each other. And I say that to all say, like it's time for us as a black people to mobilize, um, unify, man, and. You know what I'm saying? This shit is just crazy, man. I don't even have all the words of what to say. Dang, bro. Are you serious? They just found this boy not guilty not of guilty all charges. Not guilty of all charges, bro. Not a one charge. Not nothing. He's guilty of nothing. Wow, man. On camera. On shot camera. black people. On camera. That's, uh, well, uh, again, that's in the conversation for another day. I'm sorry about that, but he's going to get his come up in one way or another. You're going to stumble on the wrong person one day. Um, 
Tia, before we get out of here, man, let people know how they can get with you on social media if they want to learn more about you, want to follow you, man, because you definitely got the words of inspiration for, for a new generation, man. How can they get with you? Yes, sir, man. It's Tahir Johnson. You can find me by my, by my government name on Facebook and LinkedIn, but it's Ty Diddy everywhere else, T-A-H-D-I-D-D-Y. Um, I also got an Instagram page for my podcast, The Cannabis Diversity Report. Um, so if you search that, you can check that out, too. That's what's up, man. Ty, I appreciate you coming through with us, man. Appreciate you, my man, brother. Man, let me go ahead and get back in the mix here and try to get some more of these good conversations. While we're down here at Black CannaCon, it's Cash Color Campus High Level Conversation. We out. Let's get it. And this episode is sponsored by Dank Seeds, the architects of distinct cannabis strains. Crossbreeds that harness effects that bestow elevated experiences upon those who consume them. Cash Color Cannabis will be collaborating with Dank Seeds over the next four months on an exclusive short vlog series. Stay tuned for more details. In the meantime, head to DankSeeds.com to see what they offer.